some of you uh, may know, uh, some of you I know a bit better, uh, you might be aware that my wife and I have recently had our first child, and she's called uh, Molly, and she's very wonderful, and you can look forward to me talking about her far too much uh, over the coming months. Um, but she doesn't, like, sleep very much. Uh, she's doing all the things that babies should do, but, but she's also got me thinking uh, about parenthood. I'm a new dad. She's got me thinking about all the things uh, that I want to be able to teach her, to show her one day the lessons I want to help her to learn. And I've been thinking particularly about the ways in which I want to, to help her to learn lessons, in some cases in a better way than I did. And one particular example that comes to mind of when I was much younger uh, and I was in the car with my parents and, and I was asking them what the cigarette lighter was that was on the, the dashboard because I didn't really understand. And they, they told me what it was. They explained that it got very hot and that I should under no circumstances ever touch it. And so, of course, what I did is as soon as they stopped paying attention, as they were driving or, or, or focusing on something else, I, I got the cigarette lighter and I turned it on and I took it out and I touched it with my finger. And it turns out that cigarette lighters get very hot and that you shouldn't touch them uh, because otherwise you get burned. I learned that lesson. I've not touched a cigarette lighter uh, since. Uh, and I, I hope I can teach that lesson to Molly and other lessons like it without her having to go through that process that I had to go through. But, but as I've been thinking about that, or I've been reflecting on those lessons, I've realized that inevitably there will be some situations in which Molly learns lessons in a way that I don't want her to learn. Inevitably, she'll do some things, she'll go in some directions that I tell her not to, and it might sometimes end badly for her because we have that tendency as human beings, don't we? We have this tendency, not just as, as children, but dare I suggest even as adults, all the way through life to reject the evidence, the advice from other people about the right way to go, because we think we've got a better idea. And of course we do that in, in a variety of different unimportant ways, but this morning I want to suggest to you that we, we also do that in some significant ways, some profound and damaging ways when it comes to the bigger, more important questions of how to live a well-lived life. Because the Bible tells us that, that when God comes to his, when God creates, he, he comes to his creation with a vision of what that good life should look like. He comes to us with guidance for a well-lived life. He shows us how to find peace he leads us along paths of joy. He signposts us towards fulfillment. But we as human beings, as God's creation, time and time again, we decide that we know better. We ignore his guidance towards the well-lived life, and so we get lost. We go the wrong way. We get burned with a consistent witness of the Bible and, and I think probably the witness of some of our own experience is that when we don't listen to God, when we don't listen to his vision for how to live, it can go terribly, terribly wrong. And so this morning, I want to unpack that a bit together. 
And I want to ask if the way that God tells us to go is good, what is it? And should we follow his call? I want to think about what it looks like when we get lost along the way. And I want to ask the question if it's possible when we get lost to get back, to get back on track, to get back towards God's vision for the good life. And that's what this passage in Isaiah wants to talk about. That's what it has to say. And so, so let's jump into that. Like I said, if you can have it open in front of you, that would be great. But to begin with, let's start with some quick context for this passage. Because Isaiah the prophet is preaching to the kingdom of Judah. And he's telling them to turn back from the way in which they're going. To listen again to God's guidance for how they should live. Because you see, Judah were faced by an imminent invasion Uh, by their day's uh, most recent superpower, a nation called Assyria. And they were given a choice, either to turn around and return to God, to come to him for rescue, or to carry on the way they were going. And what Judah was doing is they were returning to their old enemy, Egypt, and looking to them for help instead. God says that rather than going to Egypt, rather than carrying on that path, they should turn back to him and follow his vision for how to deal with that situation, how to live rightly. And God's guidance, his pathway to salvation, probably sounded quite strange to Judah. It's perhaps understandable why they didn't immediately follow after it. And we hear that guidance in verse 15. It says this, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And so God tells them that the pathway towards salvation and towards a well-lived life involves these two twofold steps. Repentance and rest and quietness and trust. That's what it takes. That's the way in which they should go. So let's have a look at those two ideas. Firstly, repentance and rest. One translation sums that up uh, like this. It says, turn back to God and stop your silly efforts to save yourself. Turn back to God. That's helpful because that idea of turning around is what repentance means. Quite literally, the word repentance means to to turn around 180 degrees in your attitude and start going in a new direction. Now, repentance isn't as we often think about, you know, feeling guilty and feeling down in the dumps about ourselves and maybe eventually getting around to saying, sorry, no, repentance is turning around. When I, um, when I first learned to drive, uh, one of the first long journeys that I did was from Newbury to the University of Aberystwyth, where my uh, brother studied um, history. Uh, and this journey I went on was, was before sat-navs were commonly available. And so rather than having a sat-nav in the car, as I would do today, uh, I printed off the step-by-step instructions of how to get there from AA Routemaster, or route planner. Do you remember AA route planner? So I had these kind of three or four pages of, of A4 instructions that would tell me how to get to the other side of Wales, this journey I'd never done before. And I remember there was this one point in deepest, darkest Wales where I realized that I had gone the wrong way and I was, I was going down the wrong road. I wasn't heading in the right direction anymore. I was well and truly lost. 
And I had a couple of choices in that situation. And, and the wrong choice would have been to kind of feel bad about myself and realize I'd made a terrible mistake and, and apologize to the AA route plan for not following its instructions, but, but keep on driving in the same direction and hope I eventually made it to my brother. That would have been the, the wrong thing to do, but the thing that I, I did do, and I think was probably the right thing, was to stop the direction that I was going to turn around and head back the way I had come and wait until I got back onto the right road again. And that's what repentance is. It's stopping. It's turning around. It's going again in the right direction. And God says to Judah and he says to us that that is the first step in living the good life. That is the first step on the road to salvation to recognize that we've gone wrong, to turn around and to come back to God. And when we get there, God says in this pair that we'll find rest. We'll find a break from our striving. We'll find a break from our silly efforts to save ourselves, to work out the way on our own. First, we need to find we need to, to head towards repentance and rest. Secondly, this pathway that God calls us to is quietness and trust. Or again, a different translation, settle down in complete dependence on me. Because we're all so rushed, aren't we? Maybe not all of us, but I think most of us, we're just sprinting too often from activity to activity in a constant effort to achieve and to gain, to win, to succeed. We don't stop, we don't breathe. Our world, our culture, this, this, this context we find ourselves is just go, 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 isn't it? But I wonder how often we stop to ask ourselves why. And I wonder if we took the time to do that and if we kept on asking why, if we kept on digging deeper to the core, we'd, we'd find out the reason for our frenetic and relentless and restless activity is rooted ultimately in a lack of trust. It's rooted in a failure to believe that in the end God is good and trustworthy, that he has our best interests at heart and that he's looking after our future. And because we don't trust, instead we strive and we strive and we push ourselves beyond what is healthy to achieve more and more, to gain more recognition, to rise higher and higher in our profession or social circles. And we do it because we think that that is the best way to get to a good life. We're not malicious. We're not trying to go in the wrong way, but we think this is how I get to the life that I want to live. This is how I get to fulfillment. But more often than not, when people get to the end of that road, of that frenetic activity, they find instead that they burned themselves out, that the journey has broken them, that the, the destination is dissatisfying. And we probably all know don't we? And maybe the person you know is yourself. We know people who have been ruined and broken by the journey 
because it's relentless, because there's no rest, there's no peace. There's too much striving as we pursue our own vision of the good life, but God offers another way. It's quietness and trust. Trust, believing in him, relying on him, having faith in him to lead us in pathways towards salvation, towards a well-lived life. And because we trust him to follow his vision rather than our own. God's call to Judah and to us is repentance and rest, quietness and trust. This is the way that God calls us to go. But in the case of Judah, perhaps predictably, rather than going in God's way, they chose their own vision for how to live this life. They returned to Egypt and it did not go well for them. And verses 16 and 17 tell us precisely how it goes wrong. And there's a painful irony in what happens to God's people because we discover that the very things they chose to pursue to save themselves become the very things that destroy them. And so they want to, to flee. And so they find themselves in a situation where they have to flee. And they think speed will save them, but they find themselves up against enemies who are even faster than they are. And they think their military might might be their salvation, but they find themselves with an army that fails to save them from an even smaller fighting force. The things they pursue to save them are the things that destroy them. And this irony is one of the key lessons that keeps on coming up again and again in the story of the Bible. It's one of the lessons that the Bible wants us to learn. And that lesson is this. Let me sum it up something like this. Whenever we put something in the place that God should take, in the place that God belongs, whenever we look to something else to save us, whenever we trust in something else's vision for our life, that thing will inevitably be the thing that destroys us. Because nothing in creation is designed to carry the weight of the human heart. Nothing in creation is designed to, to uh, support and direct our souls. And when we do this, it's a, it's a problem that the Bible calls idolatry. And it always goes badly. Now, idolatry has been described as anything that you, an idol is anything that you need to ask permission from first before you say yes to God. And so if you need to check your financial prospects before you respond to a call to be generous, then, then money might be an idol for you. If you worry first about your career pathway, when you sense that call from God to do something, then work might be your idol. And if you hold in your heart that it's more important to please a loved one than to follow God, then that relationship might be an idol. When we put anything in the place that God should hold, it goes wrong. What inevitably happens with that idol, however good that thing might be, because our idols can be wonderful, brilliant things, however good they might be when we put them in God's place they inevitably destroy us they ask 
too much. They lead us away from life. They're incapable of holding up the weight of our souls because that's what idols do. Not malicious. It's just the way of the world. When you touch a cigarette lighter, you're going to get burnt. But that's what we do, and that's what Judah did. Time and time again, we turn to idols, we turn to our own vision for how to live this life, and we do damage to our souls. We're all guilty of it, we're all wounded by it. And so what are we to do? What were Judah to do, having turned to Egypt? Well, God has told us, we've already thought about it in that previous verse, turn back to him and trust. Because we see this remarkable thing happening in verse 18. Because we get a therefore. I love it whenever we get a therefore in the Bible. And, and when we come across this therefore, we perhaps expect it to be a bad therefore. You know, Judah's done everything wrong. And so what maybe we expect in verse 18 is therefore judgment. You've gone wrong. You've made a bad decision. Therefore, I'm going to punish you. But that isn't what God says. It's not what God is like. He says, therefore, mercy. Look at verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Turns out, when we turn back to God, no matter how far we've gone wrong, no matter how long down that road we've traveled, no matter how devoted we've been to our idols, when we come back to God, what we receive is compassion, love, mercy, forgiveness, In fact, Isaiah wants to emphasize that point for us. He says that God longs to show us this love that we don't deserve. And in verse 19, we see that he'll respond to us coming to him as soon as he hears us calling out to him. God is not dawdling to show us love and forgiveness. He rushes to do it. He can't wait to show you mercy. God is quick and eager to forgive. All we need to do, he reminds us in this passage, is turn back to him and trust him. Trust who he is. Trust what he's done. Trust his vision for the good life. And he'll heal the wounds that our idols create in our lives. And if if all of this sounds familiar then that's because this is the story of Jesus Christ. The saviour who came declaring the kingdom of God and calling the people who heard him to repent and believe in him. To repent and trust. He said that those who believe in him will not die but will find eternal, abundant life. This is the gospel Turn back to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He has made a way. He has forged a path. He has lived a life 
so that we can find God's mercy and compassion so that we can live a well-lived life. And so this morning, I want to offer each one of us a chance to turn around and to trust. And maybe you've never done that before. Maybe as you look back on your life so far, you realize that you've been going in your own direction and maybe that isn't the best direction. If you're honest with yourself, you're kind of lost. You haven't found your way to a life of abundance and strength. And these things that you've been looking to, to provide you that life that you long for, can't bear the weight of your soul. They keep on letting you down. They keep on burning you. And what Jesus says to you this morning, stop, turn around, change direction and come back to me. Come and find rest in me because I've done everything that needs to be done for you to live a good life. You can believe in who I am and what I've done and where I'm going to lead you. Trust in me. Jesus calls you to repent and believe. Maybe you've made that decision before you set out on the path that God wants to lead you on. You call yourself a Christian, but if you're honest, along the way you've made some wrong turns. Maybe you're feeling a little bit lost. Maybe you're starting to feel the sting of those things you've put in God's place. Well, to you, God says as well, stop. Turn around and come back to me. It's not too late. You won't find a God who's angry, but one who longs to show you forgiveness and compassion, love and rest to lead you beside quiet waters. So this morning, wherever you are coming from, in your heart, with your mind, with all of your will, God offers you the opportunity to stop, to turn around and to trust in him. And so I'd like to just make a moment for us now to respond to God, to repent and believe. And I'm going to do that by leading us in prayer. So wherever you are, if you want to respond to God's call to you, let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you're the one who has the keys to abundant life. You're the one who has forged the path towards salvation. God, we know that we need you to live this life well. But God, so often we go astray. We fail to trust you. And so God, I want to pray for my Brothers and sisters who are listening now, who know that they need to stop and turn around. God, I pray first for those who perhaps are doing that for the first time. 
And if any of these are you, why don't you pray along with me? Lord Jesus, for those who are praying now, who know they're going in the wrong direction, but they want to turn towards you. God, would you come and give us the strength to do that? And we say, sorry, we want to stop and turn around. Would you help me in my life to turn around and turn towards you and to put my trust in you because your plans for me are good? God, I trust in Jesus and what he's done for me. And God, I thank you that even as I ask you to help me to turn around and trust, you're at work within me, making it a reality. Even as I ask, you have put me on the path to salvation. So I thank you and ask that you would make it real in our hearts. And God, for those of us who have just gone astray, who have taken some wrong turns, would you help us not to be too prideful to stop and to turn? God, we're sorry. We're sorry for when we put other things in the place that only you should take. God, would you give us the strength to trust you, to put you first? So, Lord Jesus, we, we know you're good, and as we pray it, we ask that you'd come and do it. Come and make us people of repentance and of trust.